Hello and welcome to The Middle Project. I am the conservative view, this is Barb. And I'm the liberal view, I'm Pat. Today we're gonna to be talking about um, uh, House File 813, a charter school bill. And Pat and I are just gonna kinda of review uh, what this House File is all about and um, charter public charter schools in the state of Iowa and across the nation. Ray Booty, an education professor at University of Massachusetts, introduced the idea of a public charter school in 1974. It was further developed in 1988 by Mr. Schenker. What I found interesting in doing my research is the fact that Albert Schenker was one of the founders of implementing public charter schools and he also served as president of the American Federation of Teachers Union from 1964 to 1985. The first public charter school was founded in 1991 in the state of Minnesota. There are over 7,400 public charter schools in the United States. The city with the most charter schools is New Orleans, where 93% of public school students attend a charter school. These stats are from 2017. 45 states, including the District of Columbia, have charter schools. They are tuition-free public schools open to all students regardless of their zip code. Public charter schools serve over 3 million children in the United States. Currently in Iowa, parents have access to more K-12 education options than you might realize. Those are traditional public schools, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private, private schools, and online schools, and homeschooling. Iowa spends on average $13,241 per public school student each year. Iowa has restricted open enrollment for public school. There are currently two public charter schools in Iowa, which are located in Storm Lake and Maynard. If there are more families seeking admittance to a charter school than there are seats, a lottery system is used to randomly determine admittance. Pat, I'm going to let you kind of, if you've got some history on the charter schools before we get into the house file. Well, yes, and I think that one of the important things that you just mentioned is that charter schools have already been legal in Iowa, um, and there have been some experiences already that one of the ones that, that I have read positive things about is that there is a public Montessori in uh, Des Moines, and that interested me because, you know, the normal Montessori has charged tuition and has not allowed states to have any say about what they do in their systems. So obviously Montessori is making some changes and it's been a very popular system. Now, you just spoke of the two charter schools in Iowa. Their programs are based on something that Iowa has been doing for a long time. And that is allowing high school students to take community college courses while they are still in high school. And um, that has had some huge success. Um, having taught in high school, I even know of, of one student who completed her AA and her high school diploma the very same year. Um, now what happens with that is that when students um, from public schools take NIAC classes, their school has to pay the tuition for the class at the community college. Um, this has been great for 
some of our students who are, are really advanced, okay, if you don't have enough kids in your school to offer calculus, okay, then they can go to NIAC and take calculus. Um, a number of years ago, there was this huge push uh, to change our schools and to get rid of all the trade programs and to go to strictly college prep. And kids have now been able to take um, trade programs at our community colleges uh, since they've no longer been uh, offered at the high school. What they have done in both of these districts is come up with a plan that, that joins with the community colleges and offers kids both advanced classes and trade programs. And uh, I think you have a, nep or, um, a nephew who did the agricultural program at, at NIAC. Um, and it was very, you know, much what he needed and, and what he wanted to do. I agree, Pat. I think that the trades and uh, the relationship between the community college, I think that is so vital to these kids that are not going to go on and get a four-year degree, but yet they, are, they can achieve that two-year degree within their high school years. Yes, mm -hmm. or yes, or then they can maybe even achieve at least one and then go, you know, on. But the thing that is a little bit different about these two is that they are also providing transportation. You know, prior to this, any kid who wanted to go to the community college for a class had to provide their own transportation. And I know the one at uh, provides transportation to the community college at Fort Dodge because the distance is a little greater. These aren't really new, okay? We've been doing this. And they are just putting on, on a much more organized level. And I think that's, that's good. Um, the one thing that, that I am very happy to see within this Iowa law is that it has not changed open enrollments. Um, you know, there's a great deal of concern that total open enrollments being squeaked between schools would um, equal all kinds of um, sports recruiting, for example, and, and other things that, that we maybe don't really want to see. Um, my grandson open enrolled. He had gone to Clear Lake High School since preschool, and it was his senior year. And in order to open enroll in Iowa, you have to put in an application to the school where you want to go and the school where you are. And they have to approve your uh, application. And because he could drive, because he had had an IEP, because he had been in you know, the school district uh, and being successful, they agreed, yes. So he did finish at Clear Lake High School. My granddaughter, who was a um, going into sixth grade, did not apply, and she went to Central Springs and was very successful. But she went at a good time because it was when um, North Springs and um, Manly were joining, and so all, it was a big mix-up with everybody. She wasn't the only new <laughs> student. But they haven't changed that. You still have to have a valid reason for an open enrollment in our state. The other thing that they have done right with this law is that in allowing, um, you know, they allow both through this charter school bill, they allow both public and private um, charter schools. But there are some really strong limits on the charter schools that are private. 
They cannot charge tuition. They cannot be religious-based. And, you know, the law has, oh, it's 30 pages of, of criteria, you know, that a school must fulfill in order to become a charter school. So they've thought a lot about it. I will give them credit for that. Uh, I am not totally on board with every piece of it, but I don't think, compared to what other states are doing with vouchers, I mean, we did not go with a voucher system. Uh, we are not going to be putting public money into um, religious schools. Um, so with that, um, Pat, I'm going to go ahead and kind of tell the audience um, a little bit about House File 813 and the new sections. Yeah. Um, so as we know, the the public charter school bill um, for the state of Iowa has been around since 2003. So House File 813 has a few new sections to the current law. The law still holds public charter schools to strict guidelines. One of the new ads to the bill allows a founding group to apply directly to the State Department of Education instead of having to go to their local school board. Representative Schuyler Wheeler, the author of the bill, stated, quote, if your public school is meeting the needs of all of its students, then there wouldn't be a need for a charter school at the end of the day. This comes down to a real solid question. What are we actually funding? Are we funding systems? Are we funding the status quo? Or are we funding students? Parents know what is best on how and where to educate their children. Students all have different needs and perform better in different settings. Some will do better in a traditional public school. Some will do well in private school. Some will have success in homeschooling. Some perform better in online settings. As we have seen evident across the nation, some will have great success in a charter school. Will Keeps runs Starts Right Here, a Des Moines program for at-risk youth. He advocated for the charter school bill and states that he is indeed in favor of expanding charter school options for kids who weren't being supported by public schools. Will Keeps is a Democrat who joined forces with um, Governor Kim Reynolds, who is a Republican, and um, he has a great relationship with the Des Moines Police Force. And his goal is to get those. He was in a gang. He dropped out of school. And Des Moines has a real problem with that increasing right now. So Will's idea of let's get these kids somewhere in a school setting where they feel comfortable to get them back on their feet. So, you know, you can do your research and Will Keeps starts right here. He's doing a great, great job down in Des Moines. Um, what we have to understand that there are some parents out there who are just not happy with the public school that their child has to go to, that they feel that's their only option. We all know that homeschooling has been on the rise. Um, public charter schools, we have two in the state of Iowa. Um, Minnesota has, I think, um, let me get to my notes on Minnesota. Um, I know they have about 400 um, something like that. So, you know, Minnesota um, has a lot more. You have to look at their geography too. But, you know, I'm proud of Mason City Schools. I went through the Mason City School System, um, as many of you listening um, did. Uh, we've got three private schools in North Iowa. We've got Newman, North Iowa Christian, and Clear Lake Classical. And they've been seeing consistent growth year after year, and they receive no state education dollars. 
Um, so, you know, we have to remember that there are other options other than a public school or a public charter school as well. Well, one of the things that we need to look at is what are the indicators that the education system in Iowa really needs some kind of change. Um, we've long been proud of our schools, but there's significant evidence that some improvements are needed. Um, you know, from the launching of Sputnik through the Bush era with no child left behind, um, the pressure for better results, particularly in math, science, and technology, have really increased. Um, the 2010 term Common Core was applied to a set of national standards for every grade level, and um, the goal of all children meeting those, and schools became essentially college prep course aimed, um, whereas um, schools dropped programs like auto mechanics, woodworking, drafting, um, all kinds of, of things that were trade-oriented. Now, there were two reasons for this. One was the push for college, you know, getting those scores up there. The other was with the development of technology. Uh, my husband taught auto mechanics, and he said if the school could not afford the equipment right. with a new technology that all he could teach was classic car repair, right? You know, <laughs> and and so um, that's when they started pairing with uh, with NIAC with their odd mechanics program. Um, but we have some other problems within that. The no school child left behind um, developed a system of judging individual schools as exceptional, proficient, needing work, or failing all based on testing. And testing nationwide in this country is a serious problem. In Iowa, for example, we test kids in third grade, I think it's either eighth or ninth grade, and 11th grade. And we judge you know, progress based on those Iowa tests. Well, first of all, every third grade class is going to be different. That's right. All right? Mm -hmm. And so comparing one third grade class to another third grade class to another doesn't tell you a lot. It might help in terms of planning curriculum. If your students are, are consistently low in mathematics, then it means that the curriculum needs to change. But that's about all it tells you. It really doesn't tell you much about student progress. If we really want to do testing that counts, we set up a system. Right now, we have somehow arbitrarily picked, okay, this is what you should be able to do at the end of first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and, and so on. And what we need is a way of testing each student, not just at a specific grade level, right. but to assess their progress. So let's say a, a student takes a test, and it's a full range of tests for mathematical skills from kindergarten through third grade. And they take that test every year, and they go as far as they can go, all right? Right. And when, when they can't solve the problems, it's perfectly okay to just quit, mm -hmm. all right? Now we get an idea of what that student has accomplished, all right? Takes the same test the next year, you know, up until we have reached the top level of that test, and we have that result for every student every year. Now then we are truly measuring student progress. Well, and you and I talked earlier about 
how there's so many kids um, from dyslexia that they recognize now to autism right now, that that's something that, that teachers just did not have the skill set to do years ago. And now they know what it is, they know how to deal with it and how to get the best out of that student um, as far as what, how far, like you said, how far can they go? Um, they're they're going to test different than other students. You just can't test them all the same. Oh, but they do. Right. That's the right. problem with like the Iowa tests is that every student in your school district, whether they have learning disabilities or whether they're high achieving, every student is tested at those grade levels. And other states don't do that. They pull out the bottom section of special ed kids in their testing. So Iowa is not going to show as well as those states that pull some out. Right. In addition, states have been allowed with Common Core to develop their own state uh, standards within the framework here. And some states, particularly some of the southern states, have set their standards much lower. And so their kids do better on the tests than the kids do in, in states that, that have higher standards. So, so you're a past teacher, and so I'd like to ask you about what you know about the curriculum. Last week I was in TJ Maxx shopping, and I ran into a teacher who I taught for about 15 years. She's retired. And we were talking about the curriculum, and she said the teachers should have a bigger hand in what they get to teach in their own classroom. But she said it goes through the, the two teachers' unions, the NEA and the AFT. And she said by the time they get their hands on it and they look through it and they critique it, she said by the time you get it back in your classroom, you've kind of lost that teacher-student. What, what did you see the years that you were teaching as far as <laughs> curriculum that you got to design your own curriculum? I was very afraid to design my own curriculum. All right, because I took classes that that weren't, they really did not have a set of standard core out, you know, I taught journalism, I taught photography, I had newspaper staff and yearbook staff. All right, nobody is measuring what it is that they're getting from those classes. And how many years did you teach? 32. 32, okay. And then um, I had kids... The last years I taught in AP English, um, advanced composition, and you know all the upper level classes because I had seniority. I mean, then you get all the good classes, all right. And so, you know, I was free. Nobody had ever taught AP English at Clear Lake, and there was no set criteria. You do get material from the advanced placement um, program. And they don't tell you what you teach. You can choose any, any curricular materials you wish. They only tell you what the outcomes have to be. So who did you have to report that curriculum to? Your school board or did anyone ask for the curriculum? Well, every year we have to turn in. Well, it's not every year. It's every so many years. We have to turn in a um, curriculum or had to, Okay. So you had to have your your plan um, turned into the principal of of the school, and um, if he didn't feel it met criteria, then you would hear about it. Right. But um, well, touching on teachers, so in the public schools, you've got your te- teacher to student ratio is bigger just because your classroom size is bigger. 
in a public charter school, your teacher to student ratio would probably be smaller, be smaller because your your enrollment in that school is going to be smaller. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the positives that people talk about. Um, you talked about transportation, and, and that's kind of concerning to me because um, transportation, I don't think, is included in the public charter schools. As far as school buses, uh, those are strictly to the public schools. Also, I think what they have to remember is when you found a, a charter school, a public charter school, what facility are you going to have it in? Now, in reading this bill, it said that you could actually have it on the property of an existing school. And I don't quite yes. understand how that would work because well, they would need their own section. The alternative school in Mason City High right. School is essentially a charter school, if you mm -hmm. want to call it, right. if you wanted to call it that. And it is in a separate building right there on the Mason City High School campus, okay? So that causes less problems. But another one of the problems that this creates, besides building space, where do we get the building space for it? If you take kids out for a charter school, you have to be aware of what happens to the rest of the public school. Let's say I do a charter elementary school. And in a district like Mason City, we have, what, four elementary schools? I, I'm not positive. But at any rate, if you take two kids out of second grade in this one, and two kids out of second grade, and two kids out of second grade in this one, and two kids out of second grade in this one, and you come up with a small class size in the charter school, it doesn't reduce the number of teachers you need at the public, regular public schools. Because taking two kids out of each second grade group is not going to reduce the number of teachers you need. It doesn't reduce the amount of heat you need in the building. It doesn't reduce the amount of custodians you need in the building, the classrooms that you need in the building. And yet the money that would normally have gone to those students goes to the charter school. So now you have less money to pay teachers and to order textbooks and materials and equipment. And I think that needs to, to be addressed. Now, in the bill, um, under the teacher section that I'm trying to find, mm -hmm. and I know that you read it too, Pat, you reviewed it over the last few days as, as I did. As far as the teachers, um, the licensure, uh, is that the same um, as the public schools as far as the same teachers? Yes. Uh, that they have to take the same license to teach? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. Um, I'm going to touch back on that third grade um, reading score because that is a, a useful benchmark that any school uses to judge the performance of that school. Um, I just kind of want to tell you about an experience I remember back in 2016. I met with a superintendent of a public school, and um, this person was really excited to tell me that 80% of the third graders were in the summer reading program, and I asked him why he thought that 80% of third graders who had to take summer reading was a good thing. Um, my feelings were if they were at the proficiency level expected to, at the end of the school year, then they wouldn't have to be in that summer reading program. Um, we kind of had a real open and honest discussion on it. And um, I, I just think that, like you said, you benchmark them at third grade and do you say eighth grade? It's either eighth or ninth okay, grade. Okay, yeah. So... Um, you know, we do have we do have it offered up, um, and and I'm not trying to critique and insult any teachers here at all, um, but my point is, if parents parents are concerned right now, and and from what we have heard, 
them speak up uh, at the hearings is that they don't feel like math and English and science are the strong suits anymore in public schools. Um, you and I both know that there are social issues out there and do they belong in the public schools? And I think this is maybe why this has been brought up uh, right now at the state level. Um, parents are concerned that, that social issues and certain uh, classroom, there's a project that, that they're, they're talking about um, implementing into the schools. I think, I think there's concerns of parents there and I would just encourage those parents to go to school board meetings and make their, their voices be heard. Um, that's why I was kind of asking you about curriculum because I don't quite understand how curriculum works. Actually, so then if these parents were concerned about this project or some social um, issues that are going to be input in the classroom. Actually, um, English, science, and math get the most attention. As should, right. as, they as should, as they should. Right. I mean, you have to have four years of English, and you have to have, I think, only two years of science, and um, three years of mathematics. Um, most kids are urged to take four years of science and four years of, of um, mathematics, but it doesn't happen. I mean, there are kids who simply aren't going to do well in calculus. Right. Once they, they're in That's high right. school and they have the credits, then they know they can take fun classes if they've already got those credits to graduate. That's right. Right. And, and let's face it, um, I would not have been a happy camper in a calculus class. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, give me an advanced literature class right. and, and I'm up there, boy. Well, you and I talked that a lot of times people are either in strong in math or English, but usually yes. not in both. So right, pick right, or choose. Right, That's right. You know, you've got the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But no, those have been very, very heavily emphasized. And with STEM and STEAM right. now coming to the forefront, they are getting even more emphasis. Um, I don't think the problem is that, that um, is, is there, one of the things that has always made, always made me laugh is that everybody who has gone to school thinks they're an expert on what should be taught in schools. And, uh, you know, I don't think they are. I'm sorry. Well, that, that's back to the curriculum. So if, if um, the, this came about with changes because, as you, I know you've heard, down in Ames, at the high school, they had the AIM superintendent and some teachers down there at a hearing recently. And there is a social um, program that they were trying to implement. And with that, there are all kinds of gender names, things like that. And they're trying to figure out how this is appropriate in a public school. Does that belong? Is that something that the parent needs to um, teach their child? Should it be pushed on the child? Um, so if those parents down in Ames want to find out what their curriculum is and they're not able to find that out, I can understand their frustration. But then talking to you as a teacher and you set your curriculum for your English and you had to present that, you said, at the end of the year to your superiors of what you're going to teach in that class could the parents come to you or to that school and find out what your curriculum is? Because to me, I've asked some other school board people and they say, oh no, you can't find out curriculum. And that just um, floors me because I, I'm thinking, why can't a parent find out what the curriculum is in the school? Well, so, I will say this. If a teacher came to parent con teacher conference and was concerned about something like that for a, school, a class that I taught, it's called a syllabus, okay? 
And I would have the syllabus right there, and I'd say, you know, you're free to look at it. This is where we are. This is where we've been. This is what's coming. Um, and, you know, I never, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be willing to bet that a high school principal has time to read <laughs> as many syllabuses as I've written. But uh, at any rate, one of the things that has happened over the years, and it has really impacted elementary students, is that the number of things they have been asked to teach has increased steadily. Okay, and and so, you know, more is being done with health and hygiene. More is being done with, you know, all different kinds of things that were weren't in curriculum in the fifties, for example. Right. Um, at the high schools, there have been pushes for more and and different classes. The place where I am seeing arguments right now that concerns me the most is what's taught in American history. Um, you know, that's one of the things that that have have come up. We seem to have the two sides here. One who says, okay, let's teach the truth. You know, about what really has happened in American history. And the other side who really is most concerned with teaching patriotic, productive students. Well, so I'm going to interject there because I I think that this is something that we have got to, both sides have, have got to come about I think that teachers should not be bringing their own political agenda into their classroom. Um, when I went through high school, I didn't know if my teacher was Republican no, or Democrat or Independent. And I think that um, most children really don't know the political affiliation of their teacher. I think we have to take case by case. If you have a teacher, and this teacher is being very... Um, in your face, you have to be a Republican, you have to be a Democrat, that kind of thing with social issues. I think that needs to c come before that principal and the school board, and I think that issue needs to, to, to be corrected. I don't think that we have a big problem like that across the state of Iowa that I've heard, and I've talked to a lot of teachers, and I know a lot of teachers who are both no. Republican and Democrat. And they say, Barb, nobody knows I'm a Republican. Barb, nobody knows I'm a Democrat. I teach history. I teach English. Yes. Um, you know, they, they just don't do that. In so physics again, class, there's just not a lot right. of room to talk about politics. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think that, you know, overt attempts at indoctrination are, are, are not appropriate in a classroom. Right. And... You know our teachers. You know the Mason City teachers. Mm -hmm. They're members of our communities. Right. There's you see them in the community. They're in different churches, they organizations. Volunteer. Right. Um, I don't see that as a major problem. But in teaching history, there are a lot of questions. Um, you know, and I've I've heard a lot of um, criticism of teaching critical thinking. I'm I'm very much in favor of teaching critical thinking. Come on, folks. <laughs> Um, that's what leads you to, to being a critical thinking adult decision-making person. But, for example, take American history. Um, there are those, well, take Iowa's new bill that wants you not to blame. Do you, under, do you know which bill I'm talking about? Okay, I'd like to know how you can teach slavery without any blame being cast. Um, I'd like to know how you can teach civil rights era without any blame being cast. 
Um, that's almost impossible. Well, in history, history is an ever-evolving subject because right now, tomorrow, today's going to be history and something can happen that's very historical that they'll, they'll start talking about. Current events, to me, is something that has to be talked about. I remember it was a big deal when uh, we got some black and white TVs rolled into the room when certain things were happening across the news, and we all got to listen. And, you know, it's called current events. It's happening. You have to, you have to talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, I'm a firm believer, like you are, that things happening in our country right now are, there's some good things and there's some bad things. There's some really bad things that are happening. We have to come together and be able to have that discussion of every life is valuable. Um, the you know we we have a justice system for a reason that did work for for um, um, Officer Chauvin. Um, the other two officers will be on trial. Police officers protect us each and every day. There's really good police officers. Yes. There's yes. some that are bad. There's some good teachers. There's some bad teachers. There's good lawyers. There's bad lawyers. In every profession, you're going to have some good people, and then you're going to have a few bad actors that want to tarnish the whole reputation of a certain occupation. We just can't let that happen, can we, Pat? No, but my concern mm-hmm. here is, well, let me give you my own school experience, all right? I went to country school for three years, and then I went into the Clear Lake school system. All right, I was a high school student during the 50s when a lot of the civil rights uproar was going on. And I graduated in 61, so we're still in the period, you know, of, of the unrest that's going on in civil rights. I was a college student in the 60s. Not once, not once in any one of those classes ever was any of it discussed. And I think, you know, so I come out... As current of, events, it wasn't acknowledged no, that this is happening on the streets. No. No, we were still busy learning, you know, that Columbus discovered America mm-hmm. and what World War I was about and, and nothing. Not a word was ever spoken. So I can understand your passion. You were there and you lived it. You are witnessing it happen around you, but you're trying to figure out why aren't we discussing it? Yes. It's happening, right? Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I think our students should know those things. Like, I was appalled to find out recently that the average America knew nothing about the Tulsa Massacre of the black neighborhood, you know, that had been pretty successful there. Right. Um, In doing my research... I was amazed that back in the early 1800s, Iowa had a Black Exclusionary Act. Um, you know, we need to know those things. We need to know how, you know, our country has evolved in terms of, you know, should kids know that we gave smallpox blankets to Indians? Yeah, they probably really should know that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to me, the way this Iowa law reads... And I may be misreading it I, because of my own background. But what it reads to me is we don't want our kids critically in that, analyzing these things. We don't want our kids blaming white society for what has happened to black society uh, or to the Native Americans or to all of that. We just want to, to come out with, with kids who can read and write and who... Um, can can be um, civilized, know how to sit still and pay attention, and follow directions. 
Well, I think critical thinking is is so vital to 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 them developing into an adult and being able to make those critical decisions for themselves. And I think the earlier that we start in kindergarten, listen, we were all taught in preschool and in kindergarten, you know, th there is no racial bias between these little baby children. Um, I'm a firm believer that that is taught. You're not born with that. They hear things and they see things and, and they're taught that. We have to get better about uh, no bullying in the school system. When we see bullying, oh, it needs to yes. stop yes. because both of my children, my son is 34 and my daughter's 27 and said, we were bullied. You know, both of them said they were bullied. It happens. It happens to everybody. My husband said I was bullied in school. So that's something that we have to get better at as a society. We have to talk about it. What does bullying look like? What is bullying? No one should put their hands on you. So if we don't talk about it's not just a skin color type in our school system. It's just between haves and haves nots. Maybe it's someone's shoes have holes in them, so then they're yeah. laughed at. Yeah. And so I think that we have to talk about critical thinking. We have to teach kids on how to be better people. And yes, parents have a big hand in that. Parents are the parents of those children. Teachers don't want to be the parents to those children. I don't think, do they, Pat? When you're a teacher, you don't want to be the parent. But yet your job is, um, you know, listen, we, ha we have, our world is not a great world right now. You and I were talking earlier about we have a drug problem. Drugs are rampant. We have parents who are getting high and the children aren't being fed and they're coming to school and they're dirty and they're hungry and that's just extra. How does the school tackle that? And we were just talking about the school lunches. Just in Mason City alone, it's about 80% of all school children are on some sort of school assistance to feed them. Um, so we do have to recognize that, that there are issues happening and talk about them. We do. Yeah. And, and I referred to Maslow. And you know, every teacher learns Maslow and the needs hierarchy you know, of human beings. And... And, you know, as I said before, if children are stuck at the survival level, they're not learning. And um, that's one of the things that, that concerns me about whether or not any of the new Iowa laws on education are really addressing. Does a charter school, for example, um, the poorest of these students are not going to have the transportation to get to a charter school that's any different far away. The schools that are in these situations where, I'm sorry to say this, but flat out their parents don't give a damn. All right. They're more concerned with their alcohol or their drugs. Right. Or they're a mother working three jobs trying to put food on the table. Struggling. They're struggling. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm still afraid these kids are going to be left, left behind. behind. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember which school system is it, is it is. It seems to me it's Cedar Rapids. They're talking about a STEM magnet school. Right. At the high school. And that sounds wonderful. But who is a STEM magnet school going to draw? Only the brightest kids. It's not going to draw every child. And, you know, this new law tries to talk about you know, aiming for equality in um, racial and and different makeups within charter schools. But interest and ability is going to impact it. And for a long time in Iowa schools, we've been pushed for um, inclusion. 
you know, for um, you know every every student being included, uh, mainstreaming, right? Rather than dividing kids into groups, I don't know if mainstreaming is right. I have seen both pros and cons with mainstreaming. Um, I understand parents who want their children to have the school experience without being grouped only with their own um, people, kids of their own abilities. I do get that. But I've also seen some big problems with that. You know, there's lots of talk about teachers being able to provide for kids on the upper level in their classroom and kids in the lower level in their classroom and, and include them in some way. The truth is we teach to the middle. We teach what? To the middle. Right. We have had no choice. Um, we've been getting more aids. We've been getting more TAG programs. We've been getting more options that, that make some difference. But, um, you know, there are, there are disadvantages as, as well. Um, well, I'm going to kind of touch base because you said that you went to a rural country school. Yes. And you and I both know that the country schools have now all merged. Like you go down yes. to Rockwell, they're with Rockwell's Sheffield, yes. Chapin. They all just kind of group together. So <clears throat> that is something that... You know, they don't have a choice of staying right there in their little country town. They have to travel. They have to oh, be yeah. bused down there. Um, so do you want to kind of touch on the country schools versus how they've merged? And Well, let's go back even further than the merging you're talking about. I went to a rural country school. And I went to the first one because they had primary. And the other one didn't have primary. We didn't have kindergartens, Okay. We had primaries, and the one did and the other didn't. Well, I could already read some, thanks to my grandma, when I went to school. So how many I, grades did they teach in that school? Eight. eight and grades, so, okay. okay, there were maybe 15 of us in the school. Right. All right. So my teacher could give me whatever. I was the only <laughs> one. Okay, so if I was reading at a fourth grade level, finished that, she could give me the fifth grade level. Now, I finished that, she'd give me the sixth grade level. You know, the ability for individualization was pretty great. Right. Or, you know, a kid is struggling over here with with fractions, but the teacher is really supposed to be teaching decimals. So she takes this older kid over here to work with a younger kid to kind figure of a tutor. out fractions. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. there there were some real you know things to learn from that. Then all those rural schools closed. Right. Okay. Financially again as it got to be less and less farm kids those closed. And so in third grade, I went into Clear Lake to school. Uh, we didn't have special ed programs at that time. Right. We didn't have TAG programs mm -hmm. at that time. And so if you were fairly bright, you might spend a fair amount of time doodling and being bored. Um, or, you know, if you were slow and struggling, we had, out of my class, I, we had kid boys particularly drop out at the end of sixth grade and eighth grade. Because um, I would be willing to bet some were dyslexic, right. some were attention deficit. And they just didn't um, have the skill set. The teachers just didn't know what that was. And, and nobody had been right. able to successfully. So they were gone. Right. But right then there were jobs for them, particularly farm jobs. And, you know, my friends who dropped out were largely farm kids. And they could join dad farming. Um, well, they had to bring money into the family. They had to eat. I mean, yeah. they were hard times back then. So you touched on a really good point, too, that 
those a lot of those country schools closed. And I think that what we have to understand is these public charter schools are not just going to be popping up. They're going to take a lot of legwork from donors to, like you said, where are they going to be at? Um, if they can't be on an existing uh, public school site, then where are they going to be? Yeah. There's a lot involved in here. Um, so, you well, know. I'm, let me interrupt you, but mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's another part of that, of the new law that they passed in that any new charter, private charter school cannot be started by an outside Iowa group. Okay? That it must be started by a group with, with Iowa roots and come from um, a group in Iowa. So it has to be a founding group, which means a group of existing teachers or a group of parents or, that want to organize that. Oh, yes. Right. And so they have to come up with their own building. They have to hire teachers. They have to, you know, they have to go through all of this kind of thing. That's going to be pretty arduous. Right. They, so just to summarize what they have to do, they have to um, give a mission and vision of their proposed charter school um, they have to ID their targeted student population and the community that it ad- intends to serve. Uh, the location of the proposed charter school or the proposed geographic area within the school district where the school is proposed to be located. They have to ID the grades to be served each school year during the duration of the charter school contract. Minimum planned and maximum charter maximum enrollment per grade for each school year during the duration of the charter school contract. They have to show evidence of a need in the community support for the proposed charter school, background information on the members of the founding group and background information on the governing board, administration and management personnel of the proposed charter school if available. They have to propose their operations calendar and sample uh, daily schedule. They have to give a description of the academic program and ID ways the program aligns with state academic standards. I mean, the list goes on and on. So yeah. it, it's, I mean, it's very extensive of, you, you just can't open up a public charter school that easily. It's going to take a group that has their their I's dotted and their T's crossed. And yeah. the, the yeah. Department of Education underneath the state of Iowa has got to oversee them. Now... Public charter schools can be closed down because of lack of academics. Um, or lack of attendance or lack yes, of financing. Right, right. And that's one of my concerns, is that nationally, charter schools do not have a remarkable record in terms of lasting. Um, in one year, 44 charter schools closed. Um, they had a good turnout in the beginning, and then schools, kids left. They, they didn't find it very helpful. And um, many of them had financial problems. They, you know, they just didn't have enough money to pay teachers, to pay for the upkeep of a building, to do all of those things. The very best charter schools in our country are um, tuition charging ones, um, performing arts schools. Those would probably be considered under the magnet schools then if they have to pay tuition. Wouldn't yeah. that be a magnet school? And, and you know, that's, that's uh, a whole different setup. Right. And right. those, you know, like the New York uh, Academy for the Performing Arts is a remarkable place. Montessori schools have wonderful reputations. Um, there are places that have worked. But one of the things they have found, particularly in black communities, where they have uh, established charter schools, is that in the first 
um, uh, testing that's being done is that there was very little achievement difference between the kids in the charter schools and the ones in the regular public schools. And so I, I do believe charter schools have a way to go to really prove themselves. Some of them are awful. All right, there is one in Arizona that has three or four different sites in Arizona, and it has sites in Kentucky and somewhere, I don't know, in other states as well. Now, it does charge tuition, um, and it, um, so it doesn't meet Iowa's criteria, but it, it, it only takes the top students. Right. Well, I think I think we're going to kind of um, start to close out our um, podcast today and kind of come to the middle. But I just want to touch base on I think what COVID has done. I think that COVID has shown that we have really good teachers in our public school systems across the state of Iowa. And I think that they've been dealt a lot in the last year. And I think with that, uh, you know, they've shown that they can educate in other ways. They've done online uh, learning and tried to, to reach out to those children. We all know that some kids didn't have that access because their parents aren't, aren't responsible parents. They don't have the internet at home. And so some of those kids during the COVID probably have fallen behind. And I think they're going to have a lot of trying to help those children over the catch next up. summer and catch up. Right. Um, you know, a couple things I think that we can come to the middle on is that I think that we're really proud of the school system that Iowa has. Our public schools in general are really good. We have really good teachers out there. We have hardworking teachers. I think we can both agree on that. I mean, Pat, you were a teacher. You've been in the trenches and you've seen that. Yes. Um, the other thing I think that we, we can both agree on is that um, House File 813 will probably be debated some more. It hasn't um, been voted on yet. The voucher um, part has come out of that bill, so that's no longer a part of it. I think there are new sections that they put in there. I don't see any big problems with it, but yet you and I think agree that we just don't see a lot of public charter schools that are going to pop up just because they've made a few amendments to this bill. Yeah, and I still, you know, I still have this same question that I voiced earlier: is enough are enough students going to go out of the regular public school system to allow the public school system to pay, you know, their money to that that new area? and still maintain what they need to be able to maintain instead of, in terms of uh, enough teachers, um, mm -hmm. classroom space, right. because it doesn't take enough kids out to right. really lower their costs. Um, my other concern is that I, I'm still skeptical of, of charter schools um, in that, that all I read about the failure of charter schools you know, that had all these wonderful ideas and everything, and yet financially and in terms of student achievement, they really just didn't work. And so I think there's a lot more questions to be answered. Well, I think that's the other thing that you and I agree on is that, is it doable? Yes, you can start a public charter school. Um, people are really excited. They'll write those checks um, when you do a startup, but it's the long-term operational. How do you sustain yourself when you see public schools in your community that are struggling? Uh, how how does a public charter school just where's the money going to come from? You know they're going to get that per student, um, but it takes a lot more than that uh, as far as um, they're building the property, the the expense, the 
um, if they do want to do busing, uh, that's a whole new ball game there um, to just to try to do contracts yeah. is huge. My other concern is that it doesn't it doesn't address two underlying issues that that are not a part of what's being considered. Number one is the impact of poverty on educational success, and you know if those poverty and home situations are bad enough. Children aren't going to succeed no matter what kind of school system you put them in, number one. And number two, I think we really need to reevaluate how we test students so that we can truly see individual progress rather than seeing, um, you know, these aggregate um, things at third grade ninth grade and 11th grade or whatever it is. Right. Um, I, I think the testing too, I think the no child left behind is not working. I think some of these, you know, they, they make these programs up on a federal level. They don't consult enough teachers that are in the trenches and it just doesn't work. You and I talk where you can have a classroom of 20 kids. You're going to have some with ADHD, autistic, dyslexia, um, higher uh, higher achievers, lower achievers, uh, just from their, their background of their family life that comes into play. So um, I think I think that this has been a, a, a good podcast and I, I really appreciate the input that Pat has given us because she she was a public teacher for 30 plus years. And so I really appreciate her insight and um, her truthfulness of what she witnessed as a teacher. And um, I, I think... I've really enjoyed the conversation today. I would just encourage our viewers, if you want to learn more about it, uh, just go to Iowa Legislature um, and put in HF 813. And uh, like I said, it will be debated on some more. It has not been voted on to pass uh, yet, but it will be probably in the next week or two. So you can certainly keep track of that. And keep track of other things as well. I mean, um, right now we are faced with such a mishmash of media that tell us one thing or another thing. And um, the consistency is not there. Uh, lacking the fairness doctrine that was taken away, what can be reported and what cannot be reported has had big changes. And you can go to a website that, or a news site that claims, you know, schools are perfect, we don't need any changes. Some that want vouchers and, and, and to get rid of public schools because they're awful. You know, there is every attitude out there. And one of the things that, that I think we need very much to teach our kids is how to evaluate the media and, and how to know. Well, how to do your research and your due diligence. And you have yes. to look more than one place. It takes yes. When you and I research for our podcast, we go to several different venues. But I also think it's important that anyone listening that wants to get more involved and, and doesn't know and has questions, you have to reach out to your local school board. You've got to go to the school board meetings and get engaged, have a conversation with the teacher. I, I think most teachers are willing to talk to parents if you have any concerns and build a relationship with the teacher as well. And the other, th other thing that people can do is get involved. A lot of people don't really know what's happening in schools. Okay, my student gets a report card and I've got an A and a B and a C or whatever it is. Do I have any idea what they did to achieve that A? <clears throat> no. Mm -hmm. Do I have any idea why they achieved a C? No. It's just there's a C. Okay, well, that means you could be doing better. That's about all I know. All right? And so I think that there needs to be closer communication between parents and students. I think that there needs to be 
And I think people who have no kids in school should volunteer and get into the schools and see what really is going on there. I think they'd be impressed. I think they have reading day, and I think you can go in and read to kids. Just You can be a tutor in a certain subject. So, again, I think Pat and I are both in agreement. Just get involved and just know who your teachers are in your school board if you have any concerns um, and and get involved that way. Well, that's the closing of our podcast, and um, we hope that you join us um, on our next uh, The Middle Project. Uh, We'll be debating what that next topic will be. So we hope that you tune in uh, next month. Thank you.